are listening to Crypto Conversations, brought to you by Block Party, recorded live at Pete's Candy Store in Brooklyn. Crypto Conversations is a series of live talks, interviews, presentations, and conversations with some of the leading experts in the field of blockchain. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming here. This is Crypto Conversations. Um, and this is our inaugural event here. We're, we're very happy tonight to have two really excellent guests here. Um, we have uh, Jake Bruckman from CoinFund. We have Anna Herrera from Reuters. So Jake, he uh, followed his attraction to block- blockchain technology by leaving uh, his job in his uh, fintech career. Uh, he co-founded CoinFund in 2015. And, um, and now he runs CoinFund. Uh, it's a successful crypto investment firm. Uh, he deals in research and advisory. And from what I've read now, getting into some venture capital, his offices are here in Williamsburg. So he's somebody who's definitely got his finger on the pulse of this emerging technology. He's somebody who's into the math and the computer science of it as well. He's not, not in it for a fast buck. Anna is a um, reporter for Reuters, and financial technology is her area of expertise. She previously worked for Dow Jones in London, and at this point she has gone deep into the blockchain marketplace, covering companies, government rulings, banking changes, executives, mergers, technology developments, licensing, basically everything crypto. So we thought that uh, in a conversation between these two, they could kind of explore and talk about uh, how they have kind of come up in this world and then lead into a discussion about uh, the role of media in the world of cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, Bitcoin. Uh, Let's welcome Jake and Anna. Thank you, guys. All right. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. We got good introductions, but I think I want to start, first of all, just for some house rules. I'm going to try to ask, we're going to try to talk for 30 minutes. Obviously, this this is a very small audience, so if we say something very stupid, feel free to stand up and say it and ask questions because it's more fun. And if not, we'll just blabber on for 30 minutes and then we'll have questions uh, at the last 15 minutes. So do think of questions. Don't make us feel really awkward standing here and staring. So let's start. Just, Jake, tell us a bit more about yourself and sort of your story into crypto and a bit your your personal background as well. Sure. Um, First of all, thank you. Thank you very much, Andy and and Anna, for for having me. Um, My story is, you know, it's fairly simple. I am a technologist. I studied math and computer science um, in undergraduate and graduate school. I went to graduate school in NYU. Um, I worked in the hedge fund world for about five years, mostly as a financial technologist, like running and programming trading systems and things like that. Um, Was at Amazon for about two years as a technical product manager uh, in pure tech and ad tech. And then I was a CTO of a a fintech company, uh, which was doing some very interesting research on um, private pre-IPO technology company. We're kind of sourcing uh, freely available data online and, 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 and uh, reconstructing the, the financial models of, of companies, which later came in handy. Um, and my crypto story really begins in 2011 when a friend of mine here in Brooklyn sent me half a Bitcoin. And I had like no idea what it was, um, even as a pretty, you know, academic kind of like technical person. I tried mining on my laptop. My laptop overheated and crashed. And I was like, what is this crap? Um, and then, <clears throat> but, but then I knew the name and I was kind of following along um, and just decided to buy some Bitcoin as an investment in mid-2013 um, on Coinbase. I tend to be like an early adopter. Where is the fee on Coinbase? The, the fee or, or how much did it cost yeah, at the time? I think because I, I remember I, I can't buy any crypto for conflict reasons, but uh-huh. I did buy $20 worth of it last year for reporting reasons, and it was 7%. And I thought, wow, so much for like I, free. So I, I think in 13, like the lowest I bought it at was about 400 bucks. But I actually bought it for like two hundred bucks later, right. so it wasn't so, even. So now it's around seven thousand yeah. dollars one bitcoin. So you, you yeah, seven, seven and a yeah. half. So don't today. mug him when he leaves. 
Um, yeah, and then, but it, for me, it really didn't sort of sink in until like Ethereum came out. And Ethereum, and we can get a little more into this, but basically kind of generalized the technology and made it useful in, in many different places, not just in crypto. Um, and that's when I kind of was, you know, fell down the rabbit hole enough to quit my job and do this stuff full time. So what was your come to crypto Jesus moment and your it was, aha? It was quite literally like reading the Ethereum white paper at work. Uh, and then I remember like putting it down and like looking at the wall for 30 minutes um, and being like, this makes a lot of sense. How, what do we do? You know? And Can you maybe explain what Ethereum sure. is and so let me, just let me, in the simplest terms. Sure. Let me let me dive right into it. I'll stop you with so, jargon. Well, actually, how many people here like have bitcoins right now? Okay. How many people know what Ethereum is? How many people know what a smart contract is? Okay, still like pretty good. But so basically, like Bitcoin is a decentralized network. It's a new technology which implements a digital currency that is not controlled by any particular company or person or organization. Uh, which makes it a very interesting thing because those kinds of things didn't really exist before, except early in the form of like Napster and peer-to-peer -peer file sharing networks. Um, but digital currency actually has a dimension that you have these like digital things that you can pass back and forth and they're scarce and they're actually valuable and worth money. And then when you go to Ethereum, Ethereum is sort of, it's a computer that has those kinds of properties. So you can create a program like any kind of program, just like you program a computer, and that program might implement a digital currency, but it might also implement a social network or some other kind of application. Those are called decentralized applications or dApps, and that's really, for me, like the bread and butter of what the blockchain space is, is like how do we build these different, so, <clears throat> different so types of applications. So why do we need decentralized applications? Why are the ones we have not good enough? I don't think we need decentralized applications, but it's just that they have emerged. And now that they have emerged, there's no kind of putting them back in the box. And they provide, uh, and again, we can get into more detail here, but they provide these sorts of um, configurations of how you can build applications and how you can build companies and how you can build products that we didn't have before um, based on this idea that uh, these networks are like not owned by like one person or entity or company or government and that they're global and globally accessible and that they're full of assets that are worth real money. Right. So, so I, I went to law school. So when I think no one owns something and it's there's no control, I automatically think, well, if something goes wrong and someone steals my Bitcoin or if it's a social network, someone steals my data, who do I sue? Right. So how does this work in a decentralized world? That's a, that's a, that's a great question and a big question. And uh, I think like the answer is like highly depends on like what we're talking about. So like in the case of Bitcoin, um, it is truly a very decentralized network. It is truly very hard to find someone, some company or person who's like directly responsible for the operation of Bitcoin. You can point to individual computers that run Bitcoin nodes, but they're kind of like in the hands of private individuals all over the world in all these different countries. And they're not even in a single jurisdiction. Um, you can try to point to the developers of Bitcoin, but the developers are not the same as the people who control the network, right? So they write the code, but, but the code, once it's deployed, is like a kind of a totally separate thing. Um, so in the case of Bitcoin, it's like very hard. There's, there's nobody. It would be very hard to like, I don't know, bring someone to court and sue them for something bad that Bitcoin did. Um, but in the case of other cryptocurrencies, there's all kinds of configurations. There's like companies who have created cryptocurrencies, but they still control the supply. They can like add units. They could remove units from circulation. They can pause trading in it. And when you're in those kinds of situations, then it's a, it's a little bit more clear, like who is responsible if something goes wrong. It's usually like the issuer or the controller. So is, um, is that decentralized then, or is it just a way to raise well, money? I think I think decentralization is a spectrum, right? So there's there's applications of like fully decentralized systems, and there's some really good properties of them uh, for certain purposes. But then it's like there's other things in decentralized systems that are very very hard to do. Um, 
you know, and then there's other examples where uh, not all systems have to be decentralized. You can imagine like a social network which has integrated micropayments in the form of like digital currency, right? So it's, it's a centralized application, but it's using blockchain for a particular purpose, like payments. And that's a kind of a hybrid system. So just to make it more realistic for the people here who didn't raise their hand. So where do you think this is going to have like significant impact? And, and an example where people who don't buy cryptocurrencies don't invest and, and don't even invest in stocks, why should they care? Like we often hear, they might have heard in the news that it's like the internet in the 90s. So yeah. where is it likely to have like shocking impact in my life? Sure. Um, so, well, let me, let me say that like most people, when they hear about this stuff, they hear about cryptocurrencies, right? And to me, like the currency use case is one of the like least interesting at this point use cases of blockchain technology. Because how many people use Bitcoin to pay for stuff? Well, that's part of it. Um, but it's also, it's sort of like the first thing that the technology was used for. But since that happened, people have, um, you know, people have used it for so many things. So basically, like a blockchain is is a kind of a fancy and very inefficient decentralized distributed database. And um, so, so the basic function is to make sure that if no one's controlling it, right? If you have a Bitcoin and you want to sell it to me, it's a way to ensure mathematically, essentially, that you're not selling me something you've sold to someone else. Right. Right. So if you want to get into the kind of computer science a little bit of no, it, not, not uh, too much. Not too much, but it's you know you, you guys can look it up on Wikipedia. But basically, what Bitcoin, the computer science that Bitcoin has solved is the it's called the double spend problem. It's like how do I send you know Anna a dollar and then you know Nick a dollar, and how does it make sure that it's not the same dollar that I'm double spending? And so which is very important in, in potentially other markets because now. In financial markets, you need someone in the middle who gets paid to make sure that we're not double spending. Right. So right. In, in traditional markets, that is the bank, and the bank has a database the that they control. or the central bank. And that, exactly. And that bank makes sure that you don't spend more money that is in your bank account. In the in a cryptocurrency system, that property is insured by um, the rules of the decentralized network. But what I wanted to say was, you know, database is very general technology. So you like what technology company uses a database? Well, basically all of them, right? And so what you can attempt to do is you can build every kind of technology product or app or business, right? On top of a blockchain. Whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, you know, depends on the case. Cuz cuz um, one of the things is is that it can get really slow and costly to right. run, right? So there's a bunch of trade-offs that you And then you can't sue anyone sometimes. That's right. Well, so, so like, here's a, a really great use case, right. right? A really great use case would be, I would say, and this is my one of my favorite topics in blockchain is is decentralized social media, right? So today, like, we go on Facebook, we give Mark Zuckerberg all of our data, and then Facebook monetizes that data and basically doesn't give us any of that money that they make. Um, but what these sorts of decentralization technologies allow for is for everyone to sort of like own their data. And if someone wants to see it, you, you have the option of sharing it with them. And if you do, you will get compensated for sharing data, right? And, and it's real money. We know at this point, after you know, 20 plus years of experience with the internet, that attention online is actually valuable, right? This is why advertising online works. People are willing to pay money for your eyeballs. Um, and it's you know, a multi-billion dollar industry. Why, why can't they pay me with dollars? Um, so they could, um, but, but generally blockchain provides a better, um, a better technology because if what, what I can't do with a traditional payments platform is send you micropayments, right? And the reason is because the transaction fee of sending a payment with a bank is like $3. And what's the transaction fee on Bitcoin now? Um, I don't know, but it, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, very it's some, it's very high. But there are other cryptocurrencies that have improved upon that. Like, for example, Steam cryptocurrency has zero transaction fees, zero okay. explicit fees. Uh, but the point is, I can't send you a penny and then every time have to pay $3 to the bank. It just doesn't work economically. Um, but I, can, I have technologies built on cryptocurrencies and blockchains where I can send you fractions of a penny, basically like almost free. And right. that's what enables some of these uh, use cases. 
And so which use cases are actually being, and, and, and I don't mean to, I'm actually going to play devil's advocate here, right? Because on yeah. another panel, we'd have like an anti-Bitcoin person. So I just sit in the middle. So I'm just going to be very nasty with you. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to show what the role of the media should be without, without us having <laughs> to discuss it. But so, so what are some of the use cases in which people get micropaid in Bitcoin now or crypto or any other? Sure. Um, so like the practical reality is that we are in like day zero of blockchain. So many of the like people have built products, but not many of them are being utilized. I can point to a couple of products that I know are being utilized by by actual mainstream people. Um, Steemit.com with two E's is a decentralized social network that has real mainstream users, it has people from Tennessee. It has almost uh, a, a, an almost even male to female uh, ratio, whereas like most blockchain products are like five percent women and ninety five percent nerdy oh, tech right. guys. Don't, don't they make <laughs> mostly write about crypto on Steemit though? Isn't it? Um, no, like no, it varies. People like post their poetry, <laughs> their photography. Okay. Um, you know, there's all kinds of content. So there's it's a network other... where people get supposed get so, paid in crypto. To so produce. exactly. So so Steemit is basically a Reddit, but on Reddit people kind of like upvote you, and you feel good. But on Reddit, people upvote you and you make money. On Steemit, yeah. Yes. Um, and I was, um, like, in the early days of... So do you read your news on Steemit? I, I occasionally do. Like, Olga, who's here from, from CoinFund, she posts a lot of our content on Steemit. Right. This will probably go on Steemit. Are you an Steemit. investor on Steemit? <laughs> I'm, uh, well, so CoinFund is, is actually the... Uh, one of the earliest purchasers of Steam tokens. All right, from so we, here we have a disclosure, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but at least he he made the disclosure. So yeah, yeah. but but the the really inspiring kind of parts of this is that, like for example, there's a gentleman from app from a village in Africa who had a smartphone. He accessed Steemit. He wrote a bunch of articles about his life. People on Steemit upvoted it. He made like I don't know forty thousand dollars or something like that. Became the richest person in his village. Like you what see, were the articles just his life. Um, yeah, you you can yeah you can look them up on Steemit cool. today because uh, it's on a blockchain. Um, anyway, so so the, those kinds of stories where like if that's the world we live in now, where it's just so global that anyone can kind of earn money from converting their content um, on their phone, like that's kind of a futuristic, cool world that I want to be a part of. All right. So what's the other use case? Sure. Um, so obviously, there's a lot of currency use cases of the original Bitcoin people are like, Bitcoin will be the global currency that will not be tied to like any particular country or jurisdiction. We'll see about that. So um, you're not a Bitcoin maximalist. Then. I'm not a Bitcoin. Okay. Those people, well, that view like doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and, and for anyone who doesn't know, that view is that Bitcoin is going to be the only blockchain in the world. And, and that's the only blockchain that we need. In the, world. the only currency in the world. And it will like eat all the other technologies. So, so one famous um, Bitcoin maximalist is Jack Dorsey of Twitter. He's borderline, right. but he's kind of into Peter it. Thiel also is like yeah. pretty Bitcoin maximalist. So, so they kind of believe that there will be one currency of the internet and of the world and it will be... Um, I think I think they think more about it as a store of value these okay. days. So it's like think about like when you want to store money, you can put it into your bank account, you could put it into gold, and then Bitcoin will be another asset that you could put it into right. to kind of conserve its value. Yeah. So this is a perfect segue into a bit of the culture and the subculture of of crypto. So you're not a Bitcoin maximalist, but Bitcoin maximalists are out there. And then there's XRP maximalists and there's maximalists of everything you can think of. Because yeah. what happened over the past year was that you could, lots of people issued their own cryptocurrencies. And now we have 1,500 or more cryptocurrencies, right? So what's up with all this like cult, cultish? So this is a very strange phenomenon that we we see uh, because what essentially has happened is that people can hold the assets of these different networks or blockchains or currencies and the assets are like truly valuable and you get this like weird psychological effect where you become kind of like if you hold like ethereum right you become incentivized monetarily very explicitly to promote ethereum to say that ethereum is like the best thing since sliced bread to show it to all your friends, to make so, sure so like next, other next people. So next time when Joe comes here, Joe Lupin, the founder yeah. of Consensus, remember that that he that he's an investor in Ethereum. Absolutely, and <laughs> Consensus is built on this one blockchain 
uh, which is Ethereum, right? Now, if you hold Litecoin, then suddenly it becomes in your financial interest to promote Litecoin. And so, like, if you're holding, or rather, if you're not holding something that someone else is holding, and you're looking at how that person is behaving, like, sometimes they come off as a little bit, like, weird or irrational, or maybe they're not saying sort of, like, the right thing. You're like, why is this person, like, behaving this way? And the reason is because sort of their behavior is skewed by the fact that they're like financially incentivized to do this. And this is like really weird and hasn't happened before very yeah, much. Yeah, because it's quite funny because you get really aggressive yeah. people online. The, 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 level, the same level of aggressiveness you'd have if I'm right. writing so, about politics, they'd attack me, right? That's not new. But sometimes I write about, for example, Ripple is, is a system f- for banks to pay each other. How can anybody get super excited about that? Like it's an interbank payment system, and yet if you I, write, I story, get I get kind of excited about it. Right, yeah. but but like, but would you go online and tell me like you're an idiot? You don't know how to make like it's it's a level of excitement that's somewhat well, irrational, right? You, you mentioned Bitcoin maximalists, right? So you find that like like the the Bitcoin maximalist is usually the very early Bitcoin adopter. And that makes sense, right? Because they're the ones that kind of have the most Bitcoin. They bought it at the cheapest price the, at the earliest time. And they're like incentivized to say that like Bitcoin is, is the thing, right? Um, and it's just weird. It's just, <laughs> it's weird. Hang, hang on, right. sorry. If, if, if they bought early on, they've already made a huge amount of money. Why, why don't they just sell a little bit of, and hedge it? Um, well, I mean, every, everyone's everyone's situation differs, and sometimes people are incentivized by the by the idea that they're gonna make money, like or they're gonna make more money, right? Uh, the people who've already made the money, I, you don't hear a lot about them. They're they're on they're vacation. They're in Japan. Yeah. Or, yeah, but 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 some of them are actually gen. Some some people are genuine believers in the founders of these companies and in the ethos be- behind the coin. Mm-hmm. So even even some Bitcoin maximalists, they genuinely think, and, and maybe you can speak a bit about what came before that, sort of the crypto anarchic so, kind yeah, of. Yeah, so Bitcoin, like like many technologies, they have, it has its roots in like kind of a fringe group. Um, you know, it was basically like, liber- like anarcho crypto libertarians who were like, we're sick of the governments controlling the the money supply and we need a technology to prevent them from doing that basically and that's bitcoin is an answer to that query and 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 its root is inherently political but as technologies grow and mature just like with the internet kind of started in a similar way they become more mainstream and so if you're just like me or well not me but like my grandma which i heard of grandparents investing in crypto or actually my grandma had heard of it this christmas but how how do you know and and you do want to invest and it has its risk but how do you know who to listen to right because if you assume that everyone's just shilling their own coin yeah. like how do you yeah so and so, you're not you you have access to the teams presumably right and to the and, and you know the technology itself but a regular investor does does not yeah and uh, you know i get i get asked that question a lot and it's really hard to to answer and and um first of all you shouldn't invest in anything or any money into anything that you're not completely willing to lose especially in blockchain because it's such a dangerous and volatile space and let me just say that um but generally like yes it's it's hard to it's hard to judge like who has the best information if you're new um, for the reason that people are incentivized to push their projects for the reason that this is a very new space and it's not even like fully understood by the people who are like researching it every day, like us and many other folks in, in blockchain who, who study it. Um, and so like, it's really hard to figure out like who, who do I listen to? And so my advice is always just like, look, you, you got to like go to the source. You got to like read about the project. You have to like understand it. You got to read the Reddit. You got to talk to the team. Um, and it's not always possible uh, even to, to make the correct determination even when you do that. So you have to be very careful. So the big things you hear when you hear about cryptocurrency are like decentralization, which is a mouthful, and then transparency, right? Because the blockchain is also a record for everyone about who bought, who spent what, right? Or like which addresses or which accounts bought and sold, because sometimes you don't know who the, well, generally you don't know who the address belongs to. So when you hear about blockchain being adopted in other industries, you hear about how it would increase transparency because you have this record, no one can change, and so you don't need accountants. Mm -hmm. So why is the industry sometimes so not transparent? That's what I find sometimes as a journalist. You know, you have 
exchanges that let you buy coins who who trade billions of dollars of crypto a day and i don't you can't, you can't there's no about us page so like it takes me like so, and it, i know other colleagues it will take us like a day just to figure right. like a month to figure out who the hell is running this thing well so if you run into a project and you you can't find figure out who the team is like probably don't invest in it okay. like as a rule right like you want to know who's this building will cut these down to like 20 um, of those <laughs> 1,500 right. coins. I mean, you'd be surprised if you open up CoinMarketCap, which is one of those websites that lists like all the all the cryptocurrencies and their, um, you know, what price they're trading at and so on. Um, like there are anonymous projects in the top, I would say 100, I don't, know, don't quote me on that, but um, like it's, it's funny. It's still a technology in its nascent stages. I think it's important to distinguish between transparency that the technology potentially provides and transparency that teams potentially provide in the course of, I don't know, doing an ICO and doing like disclosures and things like that. Um, so the technology can be extremely transparent. It could be opaque. It could be anonymous. It could be pseudonymous. Like Bitcoin, for example, like you don't register your name in the Bitcoin blockchain. You just get an address. And technically, no one can know um, who owns that address. But realistically, people can very well know who owns that address because in order to take money and turn it into Bitcoin, you have to go to Coinbase, you have to register with a regulated entity. Give them your ID, You have hopefully. to give them their, your ID. And at the end of the day, very much so, you can figure out where Bitcoin is, being, is coming from. And, and so if your idea is to like not pay your taxes like this, this is a terrible idea. And just the other day, the IRS sent out like a letter to everybody, and they were like, "Listen, if you guys didn't like report your taxes for crypto, you better do it now." I think there was like um, a—I don't remember the numbers, but I, I did a story about Credit Karma, that website where you can check your credit. They also have a tax scoring, but I think they do millions of people's taxes now, and it was like not even a hundred thousand people that had reported Bitcoin this year, which was—or even much less. But but right. it just seems people aren't really clear about this yet but right that's i guess that's another total another story and, and, and also the 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 current kind of like regulatory frameworks aren't aren't quite there so for example you know if you wanted to buy a cup of coffee with bitcoin you know a cup of coffee costs four dollars you go in there you you like spend your bitcoin but the act of spending your bitcoin is actually a liquidation of property as far as the so irs concerns so every single time you do you have to write it down you have to write down the appreciation of how much your Bitcoin got liquidated for and how much money you made on that, you have to fill out an 8949 form for the IRS, and it's just kind of ridiculous, right? And so there are some like trade organizations, for, like accounting organizations, that are like lobbying the IRS to put a de minimis exemption, where you know if you're buying small amounts, like a cup of coffee, you don't have to do that. All right. So you mentioned ICOs briefly, and I I don't know if everyone here knows what ICOs are. So what are ICOs? So ICOs are a fundraising phenomenon uh, that started happening around basically 20, 2014. Ethereum was one of the first ICOs. Um, so it stands for Initial Coin Offering. It's called Initial Coin Offering. The way it, it, it happened is that early when people were, like after Bitcoin, people who wanted to deploy new cryptocurrencies, what they had to do was they had to take the Bitcoin code base, copy it, and then have a team develop it and change all the change all the names from Bitcoin to like Jake coin. Um, and in order to do that, I needed money. I needed to pay the, the team. And they're like, how do we get money? Why don't we pre-sell some of the currencies that we're creating? Um, and so this initial coin offering became this uh, pre-sale that raised money. Um, and then when the, when the coin came out, they would like give all of their like early investors um, some of the coin. And then that coin would list on an exchange and usually see some appreciation because of the excitement around it. Now, fast forwarding from 2014 to 2018, we now know that these are securities offerings. You gotta be like super careful. You have to be compliant. You have so, to So just to put it into context, we had companies last year that had no technology yet or had just worked. Well, they had like the very beginnings of a technology, but no company and they would go online and raise $230 million from people online, $150 million. And these right. are companies with no teams yet. So, Right. So, so the, the novel thing was um, because the market of like investors was basically this global retail market of investors, what you saw these outsized raises. And if you go and look up the, um, the Wikipedia page for 
like largest crowdfundings of all time, um, like very rapidly that list started to become overtaken by these cryptocurrency offerings because they would be like the ones raising the most amount of money. Right. So let's let's get to the media part, right? Because I'm forgetting. So so what have you like? What's been your experience with my colleagues and and the media um, so far? And like, even as a professional investor, like, what do you read? Like, how do you yeah. know? What's well, so news? so my honest opinion is that like the mainstream media, the way that it treats, um, Be careful, present company excluded, um, and it does actually a very thorough job of of researching all this stuff. But but in general, the mainstream media kind of puts forward these pundits who don't really know that much about the technology, the space, and have these very preconceived notions. And these are pundits like. Um, uh, you know, uh, Jamie Dimon, for example, the CEO of, of JP Morgan, who said, you know, anyone in JP Morgan who gets caught with a Bitcoin is going to get fired and it's a scam and like all this stuff. And meanwhile, J JP Morgan is very much so doing R&D on blockchain and, and putting out scientific papers about, you know, distributed consensus so would algorithms. You have the, would you rather <clears throat> have the CEO of the, the country's biggest bank go and say, everyone buy Bitcoin and crypto? Like at the time he was asked, was so, that, would that have been responsible of him? That's fair. It's not um, unexpected, right, that, that Jamie Dimon would react this way. Because if you think about what Bitcoin does, it very much obsoletes, you know, the idea of having a bank account. Right, like you that, could have. Does it though now, really? Like, because you do have a Coinbase account, you just said, and and, and um, is Coinbase any better than than JP Morgan? Um, well, the point is that you don't have to have a Coinbase, right? But but everybody, but like, if someone here starts so, investing so think, in Bitcoin, they'll I go think, to Coinbase. Right? I think Coinbase is a is a really nice way, like at this period of time, for people to kind of get into the tech, to understand the tech, to be able to use it for the first time in a way that's very managed. It's very nice. And centralized. And centralized, right? But I think the point is that actually um, a lot of people will move off of Coinbase over time, I think, okay. because there's a lot of other advantages. to. And they'll go to JP Morgan, which will have developed crypto accounts by then. Well, that's your opinion. <laughs> I'm, a I'm, I'm asking, right? Because then, like, because what's one of the biggest issues with the centralization, right? Is that because there's this ruling, like the saying in crypto, be your own bank. Right. So is it that efficient really to be your own bank? So, so there, there are like some really good reasons like not to be your own bank. Right. Like if you're holding a million dollars of Bitcoin in your pocket and you get mugged, it's not great to be your own bank. Right. Um, if you get kidnapped and, and so forth, like it's not great to be your own bank. And so the, you know, the idea is that like, like today, um, it's actually a pretty good idea to put your money, your crypto currencies into something like a Bitcoin because then it's like managing the security of this thing. But I think, I think in the future, you'll have technologies that, um, that will give you the same kind of security and custody without necessarily having to be centralized or without necessarily having to be a Silicon Valley like VC backed startup. So it will be like a. Or a bank. How is that? Like, how would. What does I mean, that we look see. Like? We see technologies today um, where you can, for example, take like your private keys and like split them up into like seven pieces and you give like some of your friends some of the pieces and you need like two or three friends to come together to like access the funds. That, that looks, but, that sounds great when I need to buy a sandwich, <laughs> right? Like, hey, I need to call five people to. Like, my point is that there are, I think there are ways um, that, that people will create technologies that um, won't require like centralized custodians. Right. So going back to the media, sorry. Yes. Yeah, so I so, took it personally. So I sorry. So is it surprising that Jamie Dimon doesn't like Bitcoin? Um, probably not. Um, you know, but I think it skews kind of the perception of our, of our industry and our space. Um, if you want to see kind of a funny, um, funny workup of it, there was like that late night, skit with uh what was it john oliver was that's it? right john oliver did a did a piece on, on cryptocurrencies and you know i thought it was like a little bit biased but overall it, it has like a good view of like the good things in blockchain the bad things in blockchain the ridiculous things in blockchain um and <clears throat> i think i think over time the technology is mature regulatory frameworks come into play even the big banks, they adopt the technology for certain purposes that they need, like settlement. But, but you, you can adopt the technology without the coins, right? That's one of the big differences that 
seems to have been um, get, gotten lost a bit this year, right? You can so, you can use like because the banks are exploring blockchain and you, they have been doing this for like since well, 2015 you, you, at least, right? You don't have to have coins for blockchains uh, to be useful. So coins are known as like fungible assets, and now we also have this class of assets uh, called non fungible assets. Um, and this is things like Crypto Kitties, if you haven't heard of it, um, which are basically collectible digital cats that you can breed right. on the blockchain and own, and no one can take it away from you. And one was sold for how much? Like two hundred. I think the biggest one sold for one hundred and forty thousand dollars. It's it's literally like a, just a fake cat online that you can like. No, no, it's a, it's a real cat. It's just a cartoon. It, it's a picture of a cat, and it's sold for one hundred forty thousand. Yeah. <laughs> and you can breed it and then like I don't know if the guy actually ended up selling it. But. I think it's more real. Like a crypto kitty is like more real than like a picture of a kitty someone draws. But is it more real than my real cat though? No, but you don't use your <laughs> real cat for the same purpose. No. You don't collect cats, do you? No, that would make right. me really weird, yeah. Okay. So so yeah. So so let, let me tell you from I guess the media's perspective. So you're saying Jamie Diamonds is not biased, right? So, so if I want to do a biased story, who do I go to, right? Because if I go to you, you're you're gonna be biased on some things and not others, right? You're gonna clearly have a perspective on Steemit or something else. Like, it, it is a very hard market because it seems potentially everyone has an agenda, and because it's so new, you have analysts who are like academics who in reality then are advisors on this project or another which means that they get paid in that coin so implicitly they have an incentive and anyone who's not a coin owner but knows the technology gets dubbed a no coiner and they attack him and they say you're against the whole ethos and like you don't know anything how could you know what the topic is if you don't know any bitcoin so like put yourself in my shoes who do i like if jamie diamond is not good enough and um, joe lubin has his biases who do i interview I'm not sure that there. I'm not sure you can find someone who's completely unbiased. I think you have to kind of take those perspectives and and average them. And you know, when you talk to traditional people, you you know, they're very conservative. They're not likely to invest in an asset that goes plus or minus fifty percent every day, right? When you talk to crypto people, they are not always the best investors. Like they haven't <laughs> been around investing in stocks for twenty years, right? And they're kind of thinking that they're. Um, very successful because maybe they've made some money in 2017 on on the rise of like the crypto market, but really like there's also a lot of downside and they just haven't like gotten there yet. That's this year, 2018. Um, and so I, I think you have to kind of take perspectives and, and sort of average them. But but what keeps people honest is like understanding the technology, right? So like people make a lot of claims about what different cryptocurrencies can and cannot do and. What you know, was the worst pitch you ever got? Like just the, the most ridiculous. Champagne on the blockchain. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Amuse us a bit. Um, yeah, it was. It was like it was like delivery of. I mean, there was a lot of pretty bad. There was like mom coin. I don't want to talk badly about anyone, but like okay. it was like a social network for moms that runs on a cryptocurrency. <laughs> and they had faded in mom um, coins. Yes, but it was just it was just kind of like a weird uh, use case. Um, so champagne on the blockchain was like like delivery, home delivery of champagne, but like again facilitated by, by cryptocurrency. Um, there was like a Russian company where you could bet on celebrities, um, like you can buy like digital equity in 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 famous people, and then maybe like it would go up later if they get become famous. If they become more famous than they were already. Um, and, and the crazy thing is, some of these projects actually raised like. A million dollars and no yes. one knows where they get them from. Yes, yeah. for yeah. sure. So let me ask you one more question and then we'll see if the audience has any questions. So what is your biggest crypto pet peeve? What what have you not enjoyed over the past year that makes you really angry as an honest insider? Um I, I feel like I feel like in, in crypto again as a as a very like nascent and developing space, it's easy to be like really loud on social media and then be considered an expert. So you have a lot of these like you know, the criticism of like crypto thought leaders, influencers. Who, influencers who are just like very clever marketers, but don't necessarily have a good understanding of the technology, of the trends in the technology of, um, you know, how consensus algorithms work, what WebAssembly is, like is all this like stuff. Complicated. These are complicated technology issues that should be examined by people who like understand those issues. And I think those are the best kind of people um, suited to evaluate the space. All right. So, do you have any questions? There's one there. Uh, I was wondering if you knew anything about stablecoin, price stable cryptocurrencies. Um, what sure. Are your thoughts about them. You know, if uh, 
if those are, I guess, so like... Maybe tell us the, what the problem with yeah. that they address. So, so to introduce your question, um, you guys might know that cryptocurrencies are extremely volatile. Um, Bitcoin was worth 20, nearly 20000 in December and is now worth like 7000 So that's, that's right. what... Right. That's right. Um, and so what that means is like if you're, let's say like you're a freelancer and you're getting paid in Bitcoin, someone might send you $100, but by the time it gets to you, it might be worth like $90. So one of the, pro one of the desirable properties of, of currency is that it holds value. So the idea of like a store of value concept. Um, and what stable currencies attempt to do is they attempt to peg like one unit of that currency to like a dollar or some other basket of goods or, or, or fiat currency. But those, you can think of it as just like a dollar. And what that does is it creates a, a really uh, much better setup where you can get paid and, and, and the currency will hold its value. And so what's specifically, what is your question about uh, cryptocurrency, or sorry, stable coins? Yeah, I guess like, um, you know, is it, I guess, I don't know, it feels like a little ironic because like cryptocurrency is trying to stay away from, you know, centralized currencies. But here, you know, they're relying, they're being backed by FI currencies. I mean, it, is there, I mean, like, is, so, it, is it ironic? I mean, that it, it can be, um, but there are different ways of implementing stable currencies, right? There are ways where you literally take dollars, you put them in the bank, and that's the thing that backs the value of the currency. In that case, it's ironic. But there are other systems which um, stabilize the price of the currency using game theory theoretic incentives, and those are not actually backed by fiat at all. Um, but they might use like a data feed to understand like how much a dollar is worth. And in that case, I think it's less ironic. Hi, I'm Nizer. Hi. Hi. I wanted to ask you a question in terms of ICO. We know it's like the wild, wild west. What is happening to those who are raising this tremendous amount of money and they just walk away? Like, who's preventing this from happening besides the government? Because we really don't want the government to take too much control of that great question a self-control yeah. organization between all the big blockchain figures well so, so well, i'm sorry the ico figures yeah. that's that's a great question um i think mainly the answer to your question is the government right so there's various regulatory agencies whose job it is to um, make sure that things like icos where investors are investing money for like future speculative projects that might not come to fruition that are risky you know that they're doing that responsibly. They're doing. They're giving investor protection. They're giving disclosures. Typically in the U.S., that would be the SEC. There are many other jurisdictions in so, the world. So the SEC. Last year, people were like, weren't sure. Is, are these crypto coins? So does the SEC have jurisdiction? The SEC regulates securities, right? So if Apple right. puts out stock and Apple does something wrong, the SEC will go after them. So this year, the SEC said, "Hey, a lot of these things are actually securities." So and fall under our and fall jurisdiction. Under our jurisdiction. So if you said you were going to do something and you didn't, or if you didn't register with us, you might get into trouble. So they haven't gone after anyone. Explicitly yet, except direct frauds, right? But but that's the feeling within the industry, right? right. People have become a lot more cautious, right? Is that it, right. And and there's actually like a, a lot of other regulators um, that, to a lesser extent, uh, regulate various issues around this. So there's like the CFTC if you're trading commodity futures, you know. There's FinCEN if you're doing money transmission. There's you know. FINRA. There's even like Better Business Bureau or something. Yeah. FINRA. For certain things, so, right? So, so there's it, a lot of regulators. And then the other answer is like while those regulators are arriving at the frameworks that will kind of work for the industry long term, um, a lot of folks in our industry have started to create kind of self-regulatory organizations where they um, try to encourage people of their own accord to provide these sorts of disclosures um, and to be ethical and to be uh, and to not be scammy and run away with people's money. Yeah, so, so I guess one of the issues of speaking with, with people that have launched their own self-regulatory bodies is that you have to figure out what enforcement looks like because if we all agree we're going to do something and behave well, but if we don't know how we're going to get punished, then we're not likely to behave. Like That's, that's the things that need, still need to figure right. out. But I think the main lesson this year was that you know all of this happened and people thought it was happening within a regulatory void, but regulators were like, hey, no, it's, it's happening in the real world, and so real world rules and, apply. And, and not just in the US, there's many jurisdictions all over the world. Switzerland passed a very ICO-friendly framework where you can go and have, a, have an ICO and do China banned it's it, fine. China banned it. Um, Japan, I think, went kind of down the middle and they 
created frameworks and they're like a little bit conservative, but they create uh, the possibility for these issuers to do an ICO legally and compliantly. Russia loves crypto. Um, they think they're going to make a lot of money on it and like beat the U.S. Uh, on the on the global you know stage. Um, Canada is kind of like with the U.S. I think a bit, and there's many other examples. Right, but we still have to see. Like the SEC sent out like 200 subpoenas, I think it was, or maybe I'm getting that right. Like, yes, let's say 200 last year to funds and projects, and just they're on a fact-finding mission. Um, so we'll see. Hey, my name's Alan. Um, Hi, Alan. Hey. Maybe getting ahead of myself with this question, but are there examples of mainstream non-blockchain companies doing fundraising using cryptocurrencies? Yes. Okay. Uh, a number of them. Uh, Kodak uh, was one. Um, they stopped it, didn't they, I think? I'm not sure. Didn't so, so basically, last year, there was a point where if you said blockchain or crypto or anything, you'd become a gazillionaire. Yeah. You think your comp everybody would give you money. Yeah. So you had all these unrelated companies just throwing some blockchain on it when they didn't need it, and they yeah. would raise, right? Like Kodak, which so, you probably thought was dead. Kodak was an example of one that, you know, our opinion at CoinFund was that it wasn't, like, that interesting as a, as a product, but... But it's certainly, they, they tried to do it. Um, other examples include Square, right? So Jack Dorsey is like a huge like Bitcoin fan. So he started like integrating Bitcoin payments into Square, the payment app. Um, Robinhood, sort of like the trading apps, got millions of new users from just announcing that uh, they were integrating uh, crypto trading. Um, and a number of... There was that juice company, Long Island, no, well, iced tea, That right? was more of like a... I wouldn't say that was like they, a legitimate like blockchain project. They but, re, yeah, yeah. I'm um, just saying that they they added blockchain to their name and their stock price soared. So yeah, um, and I can tell you that you know without naming names, there's a lot of sort of Silicon Valley, you know, brand name tech companies that are certainly you know looking at the space, trying to evaluate the tech and whether it makes sense for their business. Because I I guess now like, we still get stories of people saying BlackRock is working, but. At this point, you kind of need to have been looking at it in, in some... It would be weird if you're a giant financial company and you don't have at least one person that's like kind of being on top of what's going on, right? Yeah, despite what the BlackRock CEO, I believe, originally said, which is he said, he said there's nobody in our company or, or any of our clients that care or want to know about he, crypto. He did read, say again that they were looking at it, but no one from... They didn't have massive interest from clients, so... I, I, based on like the data points that I see, like that's just not true. I think a lot of folks in the financial industry um, do have a strong interest to at least learn about it. Um, right. If I may be permitted to follow up, because where I'm really going with this question is, have there emerged indexes or people studying socially responsible mechanisms to monitor crypt these crypto assets being traded? Like, for example, if you know you sign up for a mutual fund and okay, I don't want my money to go to war profiteering. Is there a mechanism to track that so far in this there, space? There's n there's no mainstream instruments like that yet, like mutual funds or ETFs, because the regulator for now, and they might change their mind, think, think that, that there, it's... There, there are a few vehicles, actually, the, like Grayscale from DCG is one but example. But you have to be an accredited investor. You have investor. to be an accredited investor, but it is a, it is a traditional investor-facing thing. So it's like for people who want to open up their brokerage account and get exposure to Bitcoin without actually having buy, to buy Bitcoin itself through this like regulated asset. So there's some, it's, it's very early, there's some products like that. But the big um, mainstream, like an ETF where anyone in this room could go and buy, that right. has been so far blocked by the SEC That's because right. they think that the underlying market to which the price of that ETF would be settled isn't transparent enough because it relies on these centralized exchanges and... So, so, so that almost, might change. Almost ironically, though, like I think the the denial of the ETF last year was one of the major factors in why crypto went up, because people are kind of like, okay, we're not going to get the ETF. We're going to let's reinvest our money into like decentralized technologies instead. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but Alan, so like your is a good question. I think I think those products are kind of coming. And there's also a lot of products coming out for like law enforcement and doing data analysis of blockchains to see how money is moving. And I think we're going to be in a, in a world where, you know, it's going to be much harder to do bad things uh, that are possible maybe today, like in a few years. Um, and hopefully people are responsible with deploying that kind of technology as well.
I have a question. Um, having bought a little bit of cryptocurrency and getting really excited about doubling or tripling my money and then becoming really sad after <laughs> it all fell down again. Um, you know, in, in stuff, and this kind of has to do with... buy a Lambo? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't. Um, in, and this has to do with the market itself and with the media. Um, you know, when you read about it, especially some of the, the bigger news stories, they like to talk about the whales and the manipulation of the price. And that makes for good sensational news. It also, um, you know, for kind of uh, pundits whose angle is to kind of keep people scared of that market, uh, it's a pretty good story. And it seems like it's a, a legitimate story as well. So I'm just thinking if you are a fund and it does matter, you know, how you're doing in that fund, uh, when you watch those prices go up and down, like if you're just an individual with $5,000 in the market, you might feel like, wow, I'm just like along for the ride. And these people, if there is 200 people who control 90% of that market, they could easily decide when to spike the price and when to drop the price. Um, do you feel as small as I do if you're in a fund riding that wave? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, as a fund, you obviously generally have like bigger stakes. Um, but that doesn't mean you're like the biggest fund or the biggest whale. And I know there are individuals who hold like insane amounts of Bitcoin, uh, today that potentially in that market could, could move prices, uh, very much. I mean, Satoshi Nakamoto, right. Probably has what billions of dollars at this point of, of Bitcoin. Um, I think like as a fund, you do have to watch out for that stuff. And it sort of depends on what your strategy is. Like we, um, are generally like long-term, like we want to invest in, in products that long-term will have success, that long-term will be fundamentally valuable, that will build like real useful products, real fundamentally valuable products. And so the general strategy for that is going like long-term long and you kind of take the short-term volatility that might be happening because of these market manipulations or whales or, or whatever it is. And you kind of like, it, it, it kind of gets evened out because you're on this like very long investment horizon. Um, there are other funds who love the fact that these markets are volatile, like quantitative strategies, because quantitative strategies make money when the price goes like this, right? And so it's, it kind of depends on who you are and what your, what your strategy is. So, um, my question is why should I care about Bitcoin? Uh, given that it has been a very interesting discussion, Another person who doesn't actually understand the technology and doesn't own any crypto coin, uh, where do you see where do you see this going? Like, will I pay my services, or the government will do at some point with cryptocurrencies, or or not? Uh, let me let me try to answer your original question. I don't think like I don't think you're obligated to no. uh, to to participate. Um, it's sort of up to you whether you want to be like, you know, an early majority adopter of a technology or a later majority adopter of a technology. Um, personally, I'm an early adopter of technologies. I had like the first iPhone. You couldn't use it in New York City because the volume wasn't, wouldn't go up high enough. It was like ridiculous. Um, but it got better over time. And then one day you sort of wake up and you're on the subway and every single person on that, in that subway car is holding an iPhone. And you're like, okay this technology has become adopted. So should you buy Bitcoin today? Only if you want to. Um, but I happen to have the view uh, that one day you're going to wake up and all of your friends are going to be paying each other in Bitcoin. Ha, so you are a Bitcoin maximalist. Oh, Deep you down. got me. <laughs> or, or other cryptocurrencies for that matter. All right. Okay. So do you have any more questions? Th did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Are you going to buy Bitcoin? Not sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More for us. Thank you. Hi, my name is Max. Um, if you do, and how do you envision interoperability occurring between cryptocurrencies in the future? Like, is it, uh, I've been trying to wrap my head around it, is it's like, you know, if I want to spend Bitcoin on an, if, an application based on Ethereum, 
can I just use the Bitcoin and accepts as payment or does it become Ethereum or yeah, how do you see that happening? It's a fantastic question. So a lot of this stuff becomes a lot more interesting when you can connect block, different blockchains together. So like if you can connect the Bitcoin blockchain and Ethereum blockchain and have, for example, a decentralized exchange where you could trade one for the other without having um, you know, a, a central party custodying it. Um, Technically, the way that that works, uh, there could be a bunch of ways. Um, we're, we're invested in uh, several projects that are actually interoperability platforms that create bridges between different blockchains for you to be able to do exactly that. So, so um, the problem is if you have like all these social networks, say Twitter, everyone had their own coin, like that becomes inefficient. So you'd want to be able to use your coin on another platform or application. Yes, right? absolutely. Well, you want to be able to trade coins one for the other that don't necessarily live on the same network. Yeah, it's kind of like Visa, MasterCard, and like, you know, American Express or something. Like, how can, how can they talk to each other? Or how can banks talk to each other? And the answer is, like, there's technologies that are being developed that will just connect them together. I don't think anyone's, like, fully figured out, like, good production-ready, tested ways of doing that. But it's definitely possible, and people are working on it, and it will, it will happen. Uh, if I may follow up... Um, what concern then do you see in it being, you know, if there is, say, it comes out interoperability works and we can cross blockchains and swap coins for coins, uh, where does that kind of become a game of kind of foreign exchange rates in a sense? If I, you know, if I want to pay for my cup of coffee using a different, it doesn't matter what coin anymore because they're all interoperable, but fluctuating prices across all them, different volatilities, how do we start stabilizing that? Because it seems like it would be crazy and hectic on like, what coin to use. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And I, I don't think we know exactly how that's going to pan out. Um, but if I were to guess, like my theory would be that A, you wouldn't use pure volatile cryptocurrencies. You'd use a stable coin to pay for stuff. And B, there's only like a few of them, you know, maybe on the order of five to 10 projects in the stable coin space. Um, and one of them is going to be major and you'll most likely be using that. I, I think that might be like make or die or base coin or something like that. Uh oh, shill alert. <laughs> I'm not 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 invested in base okay. coin. Okay, I think we do have one time for one more, right? Uh, I want you to cover smart contracts because the gentleman had a um, raised a uh, a point, and I thought about this. Like, if I'm an investor in cryptocurrency, how do I determine how my investment is being used? And I thought that smart contract was that answer where I can in my contract say I want this to be done and to with X, Y, and Z. That's actually a great question. That's a great question. But, but why can't I tell when I give money to an ICO project, why can't I know exactly where they're spending the money, right? That that'd be putting their money so where their mouth is. I'm I'm an advisor to a project called Aragon and it's a very distributed team, um, very responsible team, and they actually have a if you go to like, I think it's transparency.aragon.one, um, they literally publicly list all of the transactions that they do as a company, what they're spending their money on, how much salary everybody on the team is making, what their expenses are. Um, and there's like room for experimenting with these kinds of decentralized projects where things are like radically transparent. Is that always the best model for a company? No. Is it always the best model where your, your investors can like, control exactly what you do and like prevent you from getting money to like pivot or something. No, as a, as a founder, it's not necessarily the best setup. And I can, and I'm telling you that as a, someone who participated in a hackathon that had exactly that decentralized like structure where it was like a nightmare to manage our, our funding and, and, um, and tokens and all this stuff. Um, so I think like different projects have different optimal configurations. Blockchain technology can certainly be used to make that more transparent. Is it a panacea for everybody's world problems? Definitely not. All right, excellent. So you guys, before we cheer wildly for Jake and Anna, uh, I wanted to let you guys know that um, uh, a month from now, on Monday, August 20th, uh, Jake will be interviewing Joseph Lubin, um, co-founder of Ethereum and CEO of Consensus. So we're going to have another great talk here. Um, this was a really amazing kickoff for this series. And I wanted to thank all of you guys for coming. And definitely thank you, Jake. Thank you, Anna. And, uh, Thanks, thank Andy. You. Thanks, guys.
This was Crypto Conversations from Block Party. Live recording and post-production work done by Irving Godori. Music by Le Chef. Thanks for joining the conversation. 